0: Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. When it comes to medical conditions and healing, Christians hold a range of views from the intervention of doctors and medicine, alternative practices, and healing that comes from God. I'm not a doctor, and I would never use my podcast to offer medical advice, uh, but I would always encourage people like I would as a pastor to take a threefold approach to getting help. First, we always ask God to help us in all things. Secondly, we investigate and utilize good medicine. And thirdly, we look at alternative methods when the first two are not yielding a result that we can see. Some will try alternative before mainstream medicine, but that's that's their choice. And I bring this up today Uh, because as we consider the spiritual life of a person may be affected by both physical, mental, and spiritual conditions. I believe that God heals, and today's guest passes the test in my mind for a verifiable miracle from God. Uh, Josh Tamlin was healed of schizophrenia, And uh, we're going to hear his story and also learn about his present involvement in ministry. So welcome, Josh. Good to have you on the
1: podcast today. Thanks so much for having me today, Kevin. It's a pleasure to connect with you at the Campus Summit and excited to see uh, what happens today.
0: Yeah. So uh, you're recording from home, I gather? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In my bedroom. All right, and uh, for our uh, listeners, uh, what city are you in? I'm in um, Burnaby, British Columbia. All right. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the Mission Canada Workers Retreat, and and you were there uh, with uh, University Christian Ministries. So, tell me about the campus that you serve on, and some of the ways that you're involved uh, with with students.
1: Yeah, sure. So I work at BCIT, It stands for British, Com- British Columbia Institute of Technology. And essentially, um, uh, we operate as a club on campus and we um, integrate into the um, intricacies of the campus life. And we uh, provide a positive community on campus that, is, um, that leads people to faith and also helps people strengthen in their faith. And
0: I, uh, I do get to meet some of the other folks that you work with in, uh, in uh, UCM and uh, an incredible tribe and uh, also part of the larger serve campus network. We'll uh, be sure to put links uh, to those ministries in the show notes. Um, uh, you and I had a chance to really meet each other for the first time um, at, in Abbotsford when we were at the mission Canada worker summit and the serve campus network summit. And, uh, um, as, uh, we got comfortable sharing and talking, um, and I started asking you a bit about your life, uh, and I uncovered an incredible journey that you've been on. So, um, maybe we can just, uh, get right to it and go back to the beginning. Um, you know, before any mental health diagnosis let's talk about your early years as a child and and a young man and, and as a teen and some of the things uh, that were um, things you had to live with and and grow through and deal with um, maybe if there was anything that was kind of traumatic in childhood that you
1: want to share about um I would say that um, for the most part I had like a pretty like, you know, normal, modern family, where um, my parents loved each other um, until I was about nine, and then they had some financial difficulties, and that caused them to drift apart. They actually got separated and divorced. My dad remarried. um, By from like nine to 14, um, my mom, who had custody of us, uh, went from like home to home to home, um we just didn't really have a stable environment growing up and that caused me to like get into the drug scene and party scene and um I started working full-time by age 14 um based on the fact that between 9 and 14 I think I'd lived in about 27 different places and so you know there's no civility growing up and so I felt like I kind of had to grow up quickly and, you know, kind of raise myself and, um, there were some difficulties there because, um, as a, as a young person, um, who needs to be disciplined and have some sort of like order, I had to kind of just figure everything out on my own just to survive. And so, um, I think by age, um, 15, 16, um, I started to, get like noticed at like in like a like a professional setting and i started to get promotions in my workplace and so due to those promotions i was able to actually become like self-sustainable um and by 16 i was a sous chef uh, working at uh some some different restaurants in victoria and that's a, that's on the island vancouver island in, in bc um mm-hmm. and yeah so by six uh i think i was 17 when my mom just um she randomly moved out of the place that i was staying and so i ended up kind of like not telling my dad but i probably should have and i was like you know what i'm, I'm basically an adult and so i um found a um a place downtown with a landlord that didn't check id and so um I started living in this very sketchy apartment where the landlord was actually, um, a drug dealer. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, he got raided several times while I was there. And so on that sort of progression, um, I, you know, making advances in work and, um, you know, going, finishing, uh, high school, going to college, um getting a first year under my belt with culinary school. Um I was actually offered a full ride to a um a culinary school in Vancouver, but I never took it. Um, but yeah, so um, <clears throat> that's that's a, kind of my early story,
0: yeah, you know that uh, that's uh, you know maybe um, not a common story for a fourteen year old kid to be working to help, help pay the bills and, uh, being, uh, successful, uh, at, by the time you're 16, being a sous chef and, and, uh, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, without the structure and, and, you know, kind of drifting into the party scene and drugs, how, what, what kind of things were going on there? Yeah. So, um,
1: I kind of felt, did it help
0: having I, a having a dealer for a landlord?
1: <laughs> well, definitely, um, you know, supply and demand, right? And, yeah, you know, convenience of just walking downstairs versus you know um, going out to get it, I guess. But um, <clears throat> I think for me, it's like um, some of the thing that kind of attracted me to that party scene was um, well, you know, uh, women, but also um, uh, friends. And so um, because I was moving from place to place to place growing up, I didn't have that form of stability. I was always like an outsider. And so it was hard to um, develop like a social life. And so um, through like social smoking, um, I was able to connect with a lot of people like way deeper than I had before. And so that kind of, you know, was a slippery slope of course and uh, yeah. How, how bad
0: did it get for you in terms
1: of drug use? <clears throat> so, um, yeah, I won't go into the, uh, like the minor details, but, um, I was, I wasn't doing any like hard drugs. The only hard drug I did was mushrooms mm-hmm. and that was when I was like 16 mm-hmm. and, um, I did it once and I was like, that was not a good experience. So I just sucked, sucked to, uh, to marijuana and uh turns out that's uh what turned the tide actually so Mm. i even in that scene with my friends doing like coke and e and mdma and i was i i just thought they were dumb (laughs) i was like you're ruining your life that's what i was you know that was my thought process at 14 so thank you lord
0: yeah there is certainly some uh literature and opinion that uh Marijuana weed can uh can trigger um uh, paranoia responses in people and and uh, could could activate a, a sequence of mental health uh, failure and was that uh part of part of the story you think for
1: you? Yeah, so I had onset psychosis which was triggered from the marijuana use mm-hmm. and I didn't actually notice it until I was about nineteen working as a chef. And I ended up actually losing my job um, Mm -hmm. because I was distracted. I was like hearing these voices that were telling me um, to like make the food a certain way. And, you know, like I, you know, somebody asked for like a a medium rare steak in a restaurant. It better be medium rare because they're paying top dollar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I, you know, I, you know, I heard a voice where that, I thought the server said to make it medium well, and then so I make it medium well, and then they bring it back and they're upset. And I'm like, well, hmm, I thought you just asked for it medium well. <laughs> and so eventually I thought I was getting like followed to work um, because of the um, psychotic episode. And uh, <clears throat> eventually um, my bosses new notice a change in me and um, they uh, they let me go. So. What happened,
0: and what were you experiencing around the time of being
1: uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia? So um, it was kind of interesting because it was the first year that I felt like I was truly independent, working as a chef and um you know, having lots of friends and um, you know, having like some sort of financial stability. and Um, all of a sudden, you know, things just started, started like waves were crashing and, you know, I'm fearing all, all of a sudden I'm feeling this like tremendous fear of what's happening. And, um, I felt like I was losing my mind and I was like, no, I'm, you know, just calm down. Like nothing like, (laughs) I, I, I was like, you know, if God's not real, then that means demons aren't real. Right. And so at that point in my life, I kind of made the decision to think that God wasn't real and that I was, you know, this professed atheist that, you know, um, had this night nightly prayer ritual, which was kind of interesting, but
0: yeah. An atheist with a nightly prayer ritual. <laughs> yeah. So did just the... in case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, uh, so like when, like uh your your boss uh let you go from work because you were getting unstable you were hearing uh voices that were going contrary to reality um but what else was going on and and when did it all kind of come to uh to a head when did you realize oh i got a really serious problem here um
1: so it was a couple things so i couldn't perform at work i was constantly um in this like manic like um i was honestly going like catatonic if that makes sense so i was kind of sitting there and i'm um like terrified and i started to actually see um you know demons and so i was like okay well um this is interesting And so, you know, and it it started to happen when I was, when I was high and I was like, you know what, maybe I'm just still high. And then like, it would, it would happen throughout the day when I wasn't using. And then, um, fast forward, I'm sitting in my apartment, had just lost my job and I'm like panicked. And I, I feel like I'm in this like sort of, um, state where I'm like you know, it's bedtime, I'm going to sleep, you know, plan in the morning is to get up, make some resumes, go hand them out, get a new job. Because anytime I needed a new job, anytime somebody, you know, thought they knew better than me, I would just literally just go to their, uh, their competition and work for their competition. I could just like in Victoria, I was notorious for just leaving a kitchen, and then going across the street and working for their competitor. Yeah, and like I just get hired on the spot. Like, yeah. without you know,, um, but you know, in this sort of um, aspect of like, oh, you know, they they clearly made a mistake because, you know, i'm I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> and so I, I remember I'm sitting in my room, and um I go into this sort of like lucid dream, and um, or should I say lucid nightmare, because um I can't move. I'm like frozen in fear and i start to see these like um beings approaching me and i'm like oh, okay this is strange like uh and then they start like shouting these profanities in you know all languages i don't understand that kind of sound like metal music to be honest and then also like um you know yelling things at me that are like attacking my like soul and like my character and diminishing me and um I'm just frozen in fear. I can't move. And then um, they're approaching me and they're like uh, at arm's length about to like strangle me. And then I said, I said, you know what? I'm just going to throw a Hail Mary here. I said, Jesus, if you're real, please, please get rid of these guys. And then all of a sudden I saw this hand reach in the room and it just tore out the demons and they, sorry. (laughs) And then they just, um, they started shrieking in pain. And I was like, holy crap, Jesus is real. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm like 19 years old at the time. And I'm like, uh, you know, I I better get some help. And so, um, you know, I'm like, oh, but I'll do it tomorrow. So I'm like, I'm getting up and I'm getting ready for the day. And um, I feel this like feeling that someone's following me with like malice intent and i'm i i'm walking downtown and this is like a 30 minute walk that i would make daily and i feel that they're getting closer and closer and closer i'm like um and you know i'm like almost taunting these things back in my head like you can't catch me i'm you know really fast and so i just took off just running and i used to be um uh, like pretty athletic I was like 140 and you know I I could run 10k like it was nothing and so I'm I beeline it downtown I'm there within three minutes and I get to the front of the uh the bay center there and I'm just out of breath because I just you know basically ran um it was like three kilometers in a span of like you know maybe it was not three minutes but either way so i get downtown in front of the bay center and um i start to see these things approaching me and um at this point i wasn't certain if they were um like corporeal if that makes sense so like people and i assumed that they were people and so i see these and at this point in time i'm I'm kind of like shrugging off that like lucid dream is like maybe it was like a dream warning me of something that's gonna happen. And so, you know, um i'm I see these policemen, and I'm like, these guys are chasing me. they're trying to kill me, and I'm pointing, you know, at these people. and the the cops are like, this guy's crazy. like we don't see anybody there. And then so they put me in the back of this paddy wagon and then they take me to the uh, psych ward. So I got the help I needed. And so I'm sitting in this like padded room and um, I'm like basically waiting. They're like, this guy's manic, like he's, you know, ex- you know, ex- exhibiting the you know xyz like we need to make sure that he doesn't hurt himself or hurt somebody else so they put me in this four padded like four wall padded room and then the first thing that happens is there's this big security guard he's probably like 250 and like much taller than me much stronger than me and he's he comes in the room and he's got this like um he's probably got like ativan in this like needle that they're trying to inject me with and um i get the silly idea that i want to fight these guys And so he comes back with like 10 other guys and I'm like bouncing off the wall, like kicking off and like somersaulting and like wrestling these guys. And then I just get pinned to the floor with like tremendous force because I'm like way smaller than these guys. Like there's no, there's no way I should be doing this, but you know, I was just an idiot. And so, um, they pin me down and they, they, um, they shoot me with probably Atavan and then I'm sitting there just like, just completely like, um, without emotion and just kind of, um, empty. And I'm, you know, taking the time because I, they, they sat me in this room for probably a day before they let me out with just like meals or whatever. And it's not in jail. So technically they can't hold you for too long. But so they're, they're feeding me meals or whatever. And then, um, I'm I'm sitting there kind of like self-reflecting on like the past like week of events, and I'm just thinking to myself like maybe maybe Jesus is real because if they didn't see what was there, and like people don't normally see like demons, um you know there's you know you know I've seen um movies like or or TV shows like Touch by an Angel or whatever for people in the older audience or you know angels in the outfield that kind of stuff but you know um it's not something that typically like westerners um talk about or are open to talk about and so um i end up getting diagnosed uh within that day with uh schizophrenia and um oddly enough the person who diagnosed me was like um the most experienced uh, psychiatric doctor um, in North America for the past like 60 years, um, specifically around the illness, schizophrenia. And he's like, this guy is exhibiting all of the signs. Like it's a no brainer. Like I've been dealing with this for years. Like it's like, we need to just get him on the medicine and get him help. And so um, the funny thing is like half of the meetings, I'm telling this guy he's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's like you know he's kind of like the guy that knows the stuff and so um yeah um how much
0: how did you um like as you think think back on it and uh and what you've been through um how do you parse out whether it was actually demons or whether it was uh you know just a hallucination from uh you know brain chemistry uh not not doing what it's supposed to do like do you um do you wonder about that or how do you uh how do you determine i mean when if somebody who is schizophrenic says that um you know i'm uh the, this guy keeps showing up and he's telling me to do this and you know it's not a it's not an actual person like like this is this is such a mystery to people and uh, how, but you know and, and I'm not asking you know to for you to figure it out for everybody else but for yourself how did you know it was demonic and, and what part was demonic what part was uh an an actual disorder are you able to
1: yeah so my my thought okay so you know don't sell me the wolves here but this is my kind of philosophy about you know the spiritual realm and um like east versus western ideologies regarding mental illness and so um i would say that mental illness and um spirits are synonymous, it's just the way that the West describes them to remove the terrifying aspects of them. And Mm so um, I think that when someone is ill, and severely ill, um, you need to pray, of course, like you said, Um, but you also need to um, go through like the process with the medication, because the medication, I would say for me, kind of like grounded me, it landed me in a place where I could then go from like you know zero to hero right Mm -hmm. you can connect, connect the dots thought control yeah and so like um because with the illness like your brain receptors are going like it's imagine um you're in like a pinball machine but like the ball is going like a thousand times fast and that's like how many thoughts you're having per second and so your brain receptors are just like severely overworked. So the medication um, slowing you down is actually, well, they're called antipsychotics, which essentially is just like, um, it's like putting a slow on your thought process that kind of like grounds you to a position where then you can like work from there. And Mm -hmm. so the difficulty with a lot of this stuff is it um, kind of makes you catatonic if you don't work, for like don't work towards a better future if that makes sense right right
0: it, it can address a um, uh, a brain activity thing but it can't touch anything to deal with your your spirit or your yeah. your purpose and your your wholeness right yeah.
1: yeah and so i think that when we're dealing with mental illness we need a holistic approach mm-hmm. um sorry approach not reproach um (laughs) totally different things my bad so when you are dealing with mental illness i think the holistic approach looks similar to um recognizing that um we are in a fallen world where um you know many things can be damaged you know look at the, the war in the world so that we get the physical damage also you have like individuals that are born like handicapped like missing limbs um that wasn't God's original purpose. But that's the cause of the fall, and then you have um, emotional problems. People are like manic, bipolar, that kind of stuff. That's not God's original design for them, but it's just where they're at. Um, will God heal them? He might, if mm-hmm. it's for His glory. Um, are they serving God? Hopefully. Um, can they serve God? Hundred percent. Um, mental illness, I would say that the approach with mental illness is like, um, yeah, I would say that I would refrain from just going around. Like, I had this genius idea when like God healed me. I was like, you know what, why don't I just go into the um psych ward and then start casting out demons? Cause I'm re- reading that in the scripture. I'm like, no, maybe not, because I don't want to get thrown in jail because that would be pretty intense. Mm-hmm. But I think that the um perspective is like if someone gives me the permission um to pray and like you know ask God to remove things that aren't intended to be there, I'm a hundred percent gonna do that. Actually, after this summit where we met, um I was going to a partner meeting in, in Brentwood Mall and um this person called me over because they, they knew who I was and um their friend had actually asked me to like um basically this person was experiencing early signs of schizophrenia and mm-hmm. um they asked me to do like a, an intervention or an exorcism and i'm like i don't know what that is but you know um you know i'll just tell you it worked for me and then i prayed with her and at, originally um i felt this like sort of like fear and tear and like uncertainty and uncomfortable like aspects and so many things that were just not supposed to be there, there. Like there's multiple, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like when you read the scriptures about Legion. So I, 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 you know, I, I took that into account when I started to pray in the opposite spirit. So um, fear, courage, you know, um, hate, love. Right. And right. so, you know um, where there's um, contention, peace, and mm-hmm. so when you pray in the opposite spirit, you, re- you remove the enemy's ability to have a foothold on that person's life. And mm-hmm. so, um, but you also got to keep in mind, um, um, in the, in the para- in like the new Testament, it talks about when you clean the house, you got to make sure you invite the Holy spirit into all those areas. Otherwise the demons are just going to bring back more friends. Oh, Hey, look, you cleaned up the place. Like what you done with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, now my friends are going to have a party and destroy it.
0: Well, it's, so, yeah. it's really intriguing, Josh, like you're um, you're in your apartment. You're an atheist um, with, with a prayer ritual. Is, was that just kind
1: of like, just in case kind of praying, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So here's the thing. So I believe that that prayer actually protected me for a long time. Um, but it was the moment that I stopped praying that that's when the enemy came in. Hmm. So, um, a little bit about my, um, pre pre story. So when my mom was pregnant with me, um, she had these birth complications and she had something called placenta previa where there's like a tear on the line of the uterus. And basically she was given like a 7% chance for her to live um and 0% for me. Hmm. And so, you know, like you know, any good um Christians, they brought it to the church and they prayed. And um do you know the guy that wrote the Cross and the Switchblade, David Wilkerson? Yeah, so apparently that guy was connected with my parents' church in Ontario where the uh Markham's pastor and um, He actually made a Saint trip Catherine's. over. Yeah. yeah, so he made a trip over to St. Catherine's General Hospital to pray over my mom. And then when I was uh, born, uh, he came back and he prophesied over me, actually. Wow. I don't know what he said. My mom said she never wrote it down at the time. I should honestly ask my dad what he said, because who knows, maybe he remembers. But, you know, she's like, I was so bad at taking notes at that time. I'm like, hey, same. I'm bad at taking notes now. I need to start writing some stuff down of all the cool stuff that God's doing. But, um, um, I believe that there, um, so basically the gist of what my mom remembered was that, um, God saved me for a purpose. Mm. And so that purpose was about to actualize and then the enemy was trying to stop it. Mm. And so, um, when I stopped praying, I was like, you know what, I don't know if I actually believe if this is real. And, you know, I'd been to church like four times since I was nine years old at the age of eighteen. And so or nineteen rather. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, Well, um, yeah, I had a nightly prayer ritual, it seemed contrad contradictive and I was like, you know, I don't like hypocritical people. Um I don't think it actually makes sense for me to continue praying because I don't actually think this is doing anything. And, um, when I stopped, that's when the enemy came in. Wow. Wow. Um,
0: at what point, uh, did you make a decision, uh, that, uh, yeah, Jesus is real and, uh, I'm going to give, give my life to, to Jesus. I'm going to, stop trying to figure it out on my own i'm gonna i'm gonna be a
1: disciple when did that happen i would say that um when i was in um so i ended up being admitted to the psychiatric ward for about three weeks after that like one day stay in paradise you know Mm -hmm. and um my dad was the first person to show up to meet me it wasn't any of the you know hundreds of friends that I connected with they all were aware of what was going on because uh you know I had a very um uh intrusive friend post about it on Facebook and um you know so everybody knew and um yeah so um none of my friends showed up to to meet with me And so my dad shows up and um, with him was this um, young Korean man and he had a Bible with him and he handed it to me and um, he he actually had schizophrenia as well. And this was one of the years where he was actually doing well with his schizophrenia. And so he was he was there and he was there to encourage me. And um, I, you know, I went to I got like a nightly pass on like week two and i was able to attend like a church service and um that was a really special time because the guy who was speaking um got freed of like drugs and alcohol and he was pastoring and i i heard the lord say that's gonna be you one day and i said no it's no it's not no it's not so way and so i remember i'm um i'm sitting alone in the um the hotel room let's call it and, um, you know, there's like very little privacy in this area. Cause you're basically just in like hospital beds in with like a bunch of other like strangers and, um, you know, people are having all sorts of like nightly terrors and stuff like that. And it's really traumatic. And so I'm sitting there and, um, so I, I turn on the light of my phone and, um, I've kind of got it like resting Um, between my legs and kind of like shining up on my chest as i'm like reading like i opened the bible for the first time and oddly enough opened it right to uh joshua one and um the first verse my eyes fall on is joshua one nine it says um for i've commanded you be strong and courageous do not be discouraged or terrified for the lord will be with you wherever you go and in this moment of hearing like all of these nightly terrors like the other people around me and like feeling like, fearful and, like, uncertain of what the future looks like because I've just been giving this, like, lifetime diagnosis, like, (laughs) yeah, I'm terrified, and all of a sudden when I read that, I just felt, like, clothed in peace, and so I said, "Um, Jesus, I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life, and I don't know what that looks like, but um, I want to do great things for you, and I'm not content with um, this label they've put on
0: me. Hmm. Wow. So you made your decision to follow Jesus while you're being hospitalized. And, uh, you know, the, it's incredible. Like he, when you go back to the the story of, you know, being in your apartment and terror, terrified as you see these demons, Jesus, if you're real, you got to take these away, and the hand and the shrieking, and away they go. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's uh, it, it, that's an interesting place when Jesus says, "Come, follow me."
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you could say that. Yeah.
0: So uh, hospitalized uh, on on medication, I assume now. Mm -hmm. um and uh how long uh did you have that uh diagnosis and what did you do with your life during those years that you were diagnosed
1: yeah so um in the beginning years when I got released from the hospital i racked up loads of credit card debt because of things going to collection and all sorts of stuff and you know um I just basically racked up this mountain of debt because I wasn't working and I wasn't earning any income and um, I had to get a job to pay rent and all this kind of stuff. I, you know, wasn't living with family um, still at that point. Um, and so I basically um, went back to working in kitchens and, but because I was on medication I was a lot slower. So I had to relearn a lot of things and, um, you know, still super prideful at this time. So I wasn't willing to take direction from a lot of the people. So that wasn't uh, super great. Um, and so in the early years of taking the medication, I felt really slowed and like, I felt like the things I knew how to do, I was like quickly forgetting. Um, and when it came to giving instruction or like, telling people to do things in kitchens or um, even having just basic conversations. I actually had to relearn everything. Um, I felt like I went back to square one in terms of social skills. And that was something that I was really strong in beforehand. And it was difficult because uh, I'd be trying to construct a sentence. And then um, I would have this like long pause and the person would interrupt and never get a word in. Um, or, you know, I'd be getting in like, like, you know, sort of like a broken record situation where I have like a rehearsed, you know, statement that I'd say or like question that I would ask people. And so I guess in church circles at the time, I became one of those like extra grace required people. Um, and so those people might be in your church today. So just keep in mind, God, God might have a plan for their story.
0: Did you feel uh, extremely alone uh, once once you were diagnosed?
1: Yeah, because I was trying to get off of drugs at the time because I recognized the evil in them. And I felt like when I was smoking pot, I was actually open, opening like a portal to for like these things to, you know, come into, you know, the areas of my life that, you know, I was kind of like closely guarding. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I, I found like I lost a lot of friends and um, I was trying to gain friends in the church realm. Um, but the only ones that were willing to, because I went to this really big church and so everybody was like this Sunday Christian, super, like superficial smile. They have no idea about spiritual gifts. They just attend there, kind of like a country club. And so there's like this massive revolving door where people are like um very hyper focused about becoming successful, getting like a um a beautiful wife and you know, settling down and then ignoring all their friends. And that was kind of like the the culture that I was in. And I found that like I became disassociative really quickly with that scene because you know. I'm struggling with a mental illness. I am in no place to get into a relationship. Um, and nor did I want to put that burden on a spouse. Um, so at least I had the the wits to avoid that scenario completely. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah.
0: During, during the time of uh, being medicated and treated, Uh, Did you have uh, more of those encounters of uh, seeing uh, demons or did that uh, go away and something else take its place? Like what was what else
1: was happening then? So I stopped seeing demons when I accepted Jesus into my life, Mm -hmm. but um, I still heard them. I still felt their evil presence lurking. And so anytime I felt their evil presence lurking, I would, I would pray. And I'd say, Lord, in your name, I pray that you just remove these demons. Or I would just say, um, I, I, I would, sometimes I'd get like a word of like what it was, or like I'd feel what it was. And I, you know, kind of creepy crawly. And I'd say, spirit of fear, I command you in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. Go go away like that kind of thing right yeah, and yeah. so i didn't really know what i was doing um but you know you kind of like figure it out as you go and also like i don't know anybody in in north america that's done something like this or like prayed for miracle healings oh yeah by the way that's one of my other gifts <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah so what would, would you um during uh, those times, it was, uh, you know, you're you're really being taught, weren't you, by this by the Holy Spirit, how to how to um, navigate through that spiritual darkness.
1: Yeah, so, um, off, you know, if you look at Psalm twenty three, it's like even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for your rod and your staff, you come for me comfort me and you protect me guide me right yeah and so as i'm walking through this like spiritual unknown um just fully reliant on jesus because i have no idea what's going to happen there's you know i've uh, you know in in the early days i made several google searches trying to figure out if like there was cures for schizophrenia Mm -hmm. and there wasn't any known to man and then i'm like reading in the gospels and i'm like god you like gotten rid of this legion and you know cast out these demons and you tell us to do that why can't you heal me i said i will not do your work until you heal me Hmm. and um you know uh uh, i remember hearing this distinct you know voice saying like josh your healing healing is already written just keep pressing forward and so um in this scenario in these like times where i was so resistant to what god wanted me to do it actually took me five years to realize that i was supposed to go to bible college to get some training
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah well so um well let's let's talk about that you know you you had this this sense of direction forming this sense of purpose after uh, dedicating your life to, to Jesus. And, uh, then, uh, when you went to Bible college, were, were you still, um, on your meds? Were you still under diagnosis or, uh, yeah. what was going on I wasn't
1: skilled at that point.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so you went to, went to Bible college, but, uh, you were medicated, you were getting help, but, and, and the, the spirit of God was, was teaching you how to how to live uh, with within that darkness and find your way
1: through, right? Yeah. So one of the contingencies for Summit actually um, allowing me to continue my courses was is like they wanted to make sure that I was upholding the government standards that they required me to do with taking the medication and you know yeah. you know <laughs> totally makes sense like yeah that's a great you know that's a great generally
0: speaking you don't want uh people with schizophrenia um uh acting out manifesting that disease in in uh settings that are uh designed to to learn right
1: yeah and so um, there still was some of that that happened on campus. Mm-hmm. Some of the faculty had to step up and usher these people into counseling and mm-hmm. having them take year long breaks while they got yeah. help. And, you know, they weren't discouraging these people going into no, ministry or weren't going caring to... for them. Yeah. And so that was really um, encouraging. Yeah. Um, when I started to, um, you know, see some of the doctors over here. Um, so a couple of weeks into, um, Bible college, the first doctors. Oh, actually, sorry. Let me, let me, um, circle back to a, uh, prophetic word that was spoken over me before I went because it's relevant here. Yeah. So, um, I'm in this prayer group and, um, you know, I have this friend who, um, he, he was like one of the guys that, um, he would spend like five hours a day in prayer because he didn't work and you know he's like you know i'm not gonna work unless jesus tells me to i'm like get off your butt you lazy you know <laughs> <laughs> and so he had he's like josh i have this this word from god for you and he said um jesus is going to heal you of your mental illness I'm like, thanks. Well, meaning Christian, but I'm not going to just go off my medication if that's what you're suggesting. And he said, no, 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 no. Uh, the second part is a doctor is going to confirm it. So when I went to Bible college, uh, I had three doctors in a row tell me that I should get a second opinion because they don't, um, they don't believe that I have schizophrenia anymore. Hmm. And they're like, I don't, you know, I, they're like, I'm not, verse in this area but this is the sense i get when i talk to you and like when i usually deal with those people they are like this and you're like this and you know you're full of peace and joy and you're always like making me laugh but like you know versus not right and like they could just tell by the the mannerisms and the maturity that you know something had changed and they're like you should get this looked at and then the third one he said this medication is having adverse effects in your body and it's actually shortening your lifespan. Um, I need you to get the second opinion, but the second opinion was going to cost all sorts of money that I didn't have as a broke college student. And so I was like, um, yeah, that's great doctor, but I can't afford to get a second opinion. And he's like, well, because this is like a life and death situation, I'm going to expedite this and just pay for it myself i was like what (laughs) and so i ended up seeing the psychiatrist and it was this muslim lady and i basically just told her how jesus healed me and um yeah she had you know she's like oh that's really neat like huh she's like i've never had this situation before because it's never been documented it's never happened before oh hello uh have you met jesus (laughs) so so uh
0: three three doctors all verifying that uh we don't think you're schizophrenic yeah yeah so that that uh recommendation then was to the muslim doctor
1: yeah and yeah yeah. And
0: and what what was her uh, verdict?
1: Yeah, she said that you don't have this. Did she suggest that
0: you had any anything
1: else or just that you don't have that or Literally nothing. She said that um you know as I examine you I you know it, like she said that when I look at the notes of my predecessor who was one of her teachers at one point by the way. Mm-hmm. That's how well known this guy was. Um She's like, clearly he knew what he was doing, but when I look at you today and I see the changes by the way you act now versus how you acted in your chart, um, it doesn't seem like you're the same person and, um, I can't help but think that, um, you've been, you've been cured and this is an incurable illness. And so she's kind of like, what's going on. So the verdict was that I've been healed.
0: Hmm. Wow.
1: So she, um, for the next six months weeded me off my medication, met with me a couple times, and yeah, I actually just got to share my faith with her and how I found Jesus through um, like the medication helped, but what really helped was connecting with the faith and mm-hmm. Jesus and praying whenever I'd have these moments, and it eventually, you know, I'm here, and you're saying that I'm cured. So, When,
0: when you, so this would have been happening, uh, during your time at Bible college. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, so you got weaned off the medication and, um, have you had, uh, um, how long has that been now? Uh, so it's been five years, five years. Yeah. Um, have you, um, uh, had any uh any relapses or any uh times where you you went back to uh, that state of mind?
1: No. Not oh. at all. No. Wow. Yeah. Uh
0: I I think that's verifiable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean I think your uh your doctor's advice is is trustworthy and it wasn't just a random doctor it was a series of doctors. Yeah. But, um now being healed from such a dramatic condition is one thing, but learning now how to how to live uh, after being through—I I think this is a very traumatic uh, traumatic event for anybody to go through, and and uh, it it had to be devastating. Uh, but by God's grace, you experienced healing, and. <coughs> What's it like learning to live in reality <laughs> and deal with the mundane uh, things of life, uh, things like uh, re- relationships? Um, you you were in a, a very dissociative state, but now you can associate. Um, you were in a a state where you you couldn't hold hold on to a job and you couldn't comprehend it but now what's how how have you had to learn to catch up for lost time uh Mm -hmm. what's what's the mundane everyday life like for you now
1: so one of the uh quotes that i've kind of taken with me and uh, i don't think this was written by anybody but essentially um i you know allowing god to kind of you know chisel away at the things that you don't want him to being humble enough to realize that you're not enough has allowed me to turn my greatest weaknesses into my greatest strengths um even with communication uh, before I got saved and um healed I I was a I was a teenager I was not amazing at communication I wasn't um, I, In fact, it was probably more military style communication uh, with how kitchens work. Um, but, you know, in my early walk with schizophrenia and the Lord um, healing me of that, um, it took me a really long time to adjust from the whole, like, this is how you can talk to um, people in kitchens. This is how you can talk to Um, people in the church realm this is how you talk to people in the church realm in the kitchen you know and so um i ruffled a lot of feathers i upset a lot of people Uh, i apologized profusely um and i slowly got better um but i think if you are satisfied with where you're at like you never stop growing so Mm -hmm. life is a journey um, where you're going to make so many mistakes, but that's exciting because you have the opportunity to become better and be the best version of yourself while allowing Christ to be reflected in your daily walk. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what would you, um, say to, um, if, if somebody's, uh, listening or watching this on YouTube and, uh, if, if they uh, are dealing with schizophrenia or a friend or a family member is dealing with it, what, what would you, uh, how would you encourage people uh, to, uh, to, to bring faith to bear uh, in, in, in that context and, and not only faith, but uh, I would say understanding and, wisdom you know some of those things what 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 would you share to others who are trying now to figure
1: out what the heck is going on um i would say that my traumatic event you know the traumatic course of events that happened in my life because of schizophrenia were a blessing because without that blessing i would never have met jesus um, and Jesus was, was ultimately the one that can free you. I would say that for the person listening who isn't a believer, um, I commend you in your walk and I, I salute you and I pray that you would find a faith. Um, and prayers don't have to be super complicated. If you're ever confused of how to pray, just look at the Lord's Prayer. You know, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as as it is in heaven. This is the important part. Give us our our daily bread and forgive us, forgive others as we forgive, you know, as you've forgiven us. And so, and in these sort of steps of like trying to navigate, like, how do I pray? Sometimes the most powerful prayer is Jesus help me. And Um, you know, when you're going through a storm or, you know, you, um, imagine, um, Jesus is BCAA and you just locked your keys in your car and it's this stormy night and you're trying to get home and, um, you call up BCAA and then he's right there and they let you into your car because they're, you know, good at doing those things, but yeah.
0: Yeah, oh, British Columbia Automobile Association. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So,
1: I'm, i hope you have something like that cuz those are cool. We
0: do. We have CAA. Yeah.
1: Oh, there you go. So, yeah. um, yeah, sorry. There's my um my westerner part coming yeah, up. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so I would say that like sometimes when we're in the middle of a storm, it is actually our privilege and our blessing to remember to pray. Um, because, um, when God shows up, he shows up in power and it's always for a purpose and your, your life has purpose, your life has meaning and don't ever let any voice or any thought ever protrude or diminish you because you're so much better than that. Jesus loves you. Hmm. Um, in the the show
0: notes uh, for uh, people that go to sidewalkskylinepodcast.com, dot com, I'm gonna put a link uh, to your uh, Mission Canada profile page. Um, you do raise uh, your own support mm-hmm. as a university Christian Ministries worker, and uh, I think that uh, it would be uh, great to to see you have all that you need to to thrive and do what you do and uh, uh, I just want to say Josh thanks so much for uh, for being on and 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 just being so uh, authentic and transparent and 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 humble like uh, people don't always like to be open about what they've been through and and how they've been broken. But uh, mm. you did a really great uh, service to, to me and to others who will listen by saying, this is what I was experiencing. This is what I was going through. This is the, the simple things that I did and the things that I learned. So thank you, Josh. And uh, I know that, um, uh, that you'll never doubt that uh, God heals because you're living it firsthand. And uh, for those who uh, are not healed, for those who are wondering if God ever will heal, um, I always think about the words of the Apostle Paul, who prayed three times that God would remove the, the, the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet him, and God's answer was an answer that was better than healing, according to God. He said, Paul... My grace is sufficient for you. So if we don't have our healing, we can always have His grace to to hold us together for another day to get us through to the next day. but I love I love the fact that in the midst of your storm, uh, you learned how to pray, you learned how to how to recognize what was going on and 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 speak uh speak in prayer to that reality and uh amazing thanks josh and uh i hope hope we get to connect again sometime
1: look forward to it kevin thank you so much for having me on the podcast
0: what a beautiful story of healing josh tamblin you know on the streets of most of our cities, we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, people that are wandering around, struggling uh, with mental health, homelessness, uh, various addictions, and uh, not, uh, the size of the city doesn't seem to uh, affect the severity. Uh, if you go to a small uh, beach city like Leamington, uh, a city in southwestern Ontario that is known for its uh, greenhouses and Heinz Ketchup and, and things like that. Um, there's uh, just, uh, just as severe of uh, issues on the street as you would find in, in somewhat larger cities. And uh, So on our next episode, I'm going to be talking with Jennifer Hyde. Jennifer is the executive director of the Leamington Community Hope Center and uh, this is a uh, uh, a new uh, street mission basically a drop-in center founded uh, just in the last year and uh, They've had uh, quite an exciting uh, beginning as an organization and uh, we're gonna hear all about it on the next episode So please come back And until then, I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, and you're listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.